vertigo or dizziness or anything attached to that, would you just lift your hand? Do we have someone? We have two. Anybody else? Brother Gary, lift your hand. I want if you two will join uh, and get behind Brother Gary. Brother Gary needs a miracle. He needs a divine touch of God in his life. Alden, if you'll, if you'll help too, if you'll go and stand behind Brother Gary, we're going to have special prayer. You know what? We're going to believe that God's going to touch him right now and that his rising and his setting down will be without dizziness, without, without any un, uneasiness. If you point your hands towards him and we're just going to agree, Father, I thank you for life. You're the God of life. You're a good God. And you said your son took stripes upon his back for our healing. We apply one of those stripes right now in Jesus' name to Brother Gary's vertigo. We rebuke it. We bind it. We condemn it in the name of Jesus. We apply the blood to your son. That that blood would heal and restore and make his legs strong and confident and that he'd be courageous and that his ladder would be greater than the former. And every physical attack that's come against him in April today, we declare victory, we declare healing, and we declare perfect restoration in Jesus' name. And they all said, amen. Thank you for that. I believe in the power. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that God changes and God, God ordains. And uh, remind you, uh, several weeks ago, as uh, Brother Al ministered into the flock, he had a prophetic word for uh, Misty and Todd. And little did, little did we know, and they shared the miracle with you, that their credit score and credit rating and all of that, they approved for $85,000 loan. They could buy $85,000 house, and they had some down payment. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the market, but $85,000, there's not much market there. There's not really most anything you're going to buy for that is a fixer-upper. You're going to have to paint it, drywall, tile, all that stuff, roof, all that stuff. But I went with Pastor Todd, was it Friday? Friday, what? And it, it is a beautiful house. New paint, new carpet, new tile, new, new uh, chandeliers, big backyard, fenced in, a big place for him to store junk. He's got his own junk stored in place. And uh, the, the good news to me, it's uh, right on the a big lake there. And so I went and scouted it out, and I wasn't too concerned about his carpet. I was more concerned about the deer tracks along the lake where I saw a perfect place to put a tree stand because people are in danger around that lake. There are things that could hurt and harm them, and we're going to deal with that. We saw some coyote track. We saw some uh, coon track, and uh, we saw some deer track. But it is a beautiful house in a secluded, very quiet neighborhood and it's what they wanted. They wanted to get out a little bit, but it's not so far out. But it's out in the, in the woods, I guess you call it the woods. And God really has been good to them. It is a beautiful, for your first home, it's way nicer than most first homes. God really did bless and God really did honor. And, and they are faithful and consistent in their giving and their faithfulness to the Lord. They spend hundreds of hours a month involved in ministry. And we thank God for that. We thank God for them, and we thank God for celebrating that. That is a wonderful celebration that God has blessed our, our church with marriage, birthdays, new homes. He's a good God, and he keeps getting better. He keeps getting gooder, if there's such a word as that. If you have a weapon with you, I would like for you to go with me to 1 Peter, the first chapter. We're going to take a passage of Scripture from that 
that letter that Paul wrote, or Peter wrote rather, First Peter. And uh, as I was reflecting this morning about this particular scripture, and I found the word redemption, I began to think a little bit about uh, when I was younger, and uh, I've always, I've always worked. I don't ever remember a season in my life where I did not mow lawns or rake grass or pull weeds. Uh, I've always, at the age of 13, I had 11 lawns that I mowed every Saturday. And I had my lawnmower, my edger, and a broom and a rake, and I would tie them all together, and I would push them, and I'd go from house to house, and I would mow lawns. My sophomore year, my parents took me out of public school and put me in Assembly of God private school, which I don't know that that actually helped because I learned most of the kids in the private school had been kicked out of the public school for drugs, and so they went to a private school. So my parents trying to get me away from drugs. I, I, I didn't experiment with drugs in high school, but it was fun, but I paid my own way. I paid my own tuition. I bought my own clothes. It was just something that I, I, I've, I've always worked. I've, I've, never known, I've never not known a season when I did not work. And uh, I remember that uh, I had a certain, a certain paper route, and I was probably about 15 years old, and I had a bike, and I would deliver these papers with my bike. They would come uh, early Sunday morning, early Thursday morning. Sunday was a light paper. Thursday was a real a big paper, and uh, several pounds of newspapers that I would manipulate, and I would deliver these papers. And then uh, once a month, I would go, and I would collect subscriptions, the paper was free, but if the people wanted to make sure they got it, they, they paid a certain fee. And so I would go and I would sell these subscriptions, and then at the end of about three months, I would have some points because of how many subscriptions I sold. And the, and the, the company that I worked for had a store that you could go and you could turn in how many subscriptions you sold, and however many you sold, that determined what kind of gift you got. And it was gifts aimed at kids my age, maybe a, a ball glove or a, a basketball or a softball or so, something that, that, that related to a 15-year-old kid. And I got to thinking about that, and we call that now redemption. We call it you take your, uh, your coupons and you redeem them. And I got to thinking about being redeemed. And First Peter said, for as much as you know, verse 18, that you aren't redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from the fame conversation received by your fathers, but with, I'm going to stop right there. I'd like to do an inventory today, a survey today, and I'd like for you this morning to tell me, answer a question for me, what is the most valuable substance upon the face of the earth? What is the most powerful element upon the face of the earth? If you're a girl, you might say diamonds. Diamonds are hard and they're valuable. A guy might say gold. A gold is soft and valuable. If you're into Exxon or Texaco, you're going to say gas or oil. Uh, If you're a farmer, you might say lettuce. But I'm asking you today, what is the most powerful element substance upon the face of it. What is the most valuable substance upon the face of the earth? Do I have anybody that would venture out and tell me what they believe it is? Jerry, say it loud.
For as much as you know, as you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, received by the vain conversation of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Today I'm here to tell you the most valuable substance upon the face of the earth is the blood of Jesus Christ. It still reaches to the highest mountain. It still flows the lowest valley. The blood that gives us strength from day to day, it will never. Look at someone and say, never. It will never lose its power. And this morning for a few minutes, I just want to comment a little bit about the blood that's revealed to us. I'm, I'm reminded there in the garden that there was, there was clay, there was a dew that, that watered the earth, and there was clay in the garden. And we know that God got down on his hands and, and his knees, and God formed man after his likeness and after his image, and he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. And when the DNA of God, when God breathed into man's nostrils, the DNA of God, the very blood of God, began to flow in the veins of Adam, and Adam became a living soul. And it was because of the power of God's blood, because of God's DNA, that man exists today. Somebody really smart has determined that everybody upon the face of the earth has come from one set of parents. Look at somebody and say, duh. And that we all came, every one of us, regardless of what your creed or your title or your color or your flavor, every single one of us have the DNA of God that was given to us in a place called the garden when God created Adam and God built Eve. Aren't you glad this morning that that blood that will never lose its power, we have access to, it is available to us, it's in our life, it's in everything that we do. I remember in the Church of God, Jerry, growing up, we used to plead the blood. I don't know if you remember that. I plead the blood in the name of Jesus. But now that we're charismatic and a little bit more informed, we declare we apply the blood. We now apply the blood. We apply the blood to our children before they go to school. We apply the blood to our marriage that God would keep a, his hand on it. We apply the blood to our body that we can be healed and we can be restored. The song says, what can wash away my sins? Help me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In Genesis, the third chapter, we see that blood. We see that DNA of God. In Genesis, the third chapter, we also see sin being birthed and being harvested. As Cain got jealous of the sacrifice that Abel made, when Cain and Abel came to God to, to present a sacrifice, Abel shed the blood of an innocent lamb and offered that sacrifice to God. Cain offered the first fruit of his garden, and God was not pleased with that, but God wanted a blood sacrifice. And you know the story. Cain got upset, got angry, saw his brother, and killed his brother, took his brother's life. But the Bible says in Genesis 3, the blood of Abel cried out from the ground. The spilt blood of Abel had a voice. It had a purpose. It had a mission. And God goes to Cain and says, Cain, where is your brother? And Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, you know exactly where your brother is because the blood of your brother cries out from the ground. 
to get compensation, to get justice. The same blood that cried out from the ground of Abel is the same blood that cried out from the ground of Calvary. And when the blood of Jesus hit the earth there, that he was suspended between the same ingredients that were in the garden, the blood, the, the, the clay, the, 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 the vapor, that same blood, when that blood hit the dirt of Calvary, something was created, something was birthed, and it's called the church. The servant looked, the, the, the man responsible for the death of Christ, when he saw the blood hit the ground, the earthquake, the sun refused to shine, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. And that day, something was birthed that you and I are a part of. It's called the church of the living God. It's alive. It's powerful. It's fruitful. It's involved. It's invested. It's upon the earth to make a difference in the lives of those that have never experienced that blood, that have never experienced that favor, that have never experienced the blessing that comes by the fact that we are blood-bought, blood-washed, blood-redeemed, blood-blessed. Everything about us is all about the blood. Aren't you glad that it soothes our doubts and it calms our fears and it dries all of our tears? The blood, that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. Now, don't make me come down there and shout amen myself. We'll be here twice as long. But give the Lord a hand clap appreciation for the power of the blood. I've preached this before, and I've seen this before, but today I saw it in, in, a, in a, a completely different uh, mindset that it was the blood of an animal that covered the sins of the garden. And I got to thinking about through the corridors of time, as we see Leviticus 4 and 11 says, all life is in the blood. And we understand as we walk through the pages of God's holy word, we begin to see types and shadows and, and symbols. And when the people of, people of God got ready to come out of Egypt, we know that there were nine plagues and there were nine gods. Egypt had ten gods, and each, each time there was a plague, it was a slap in the face of one of Egypt's gods. And Moses kept going to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh kept compromising and kept delegating and, and negotiating. And, and, and Moses would go to Pharaoh and say, let God's people go. If you don't let God's people go, there's going to be frogs. There's going to be lice. The water's going to turn to blood. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. And Pharaoh would say, you can go. And he would say, no, you can't go. And finally, the last plague where all the firstborn died. Pharaoh lost his son that night, woke up that next morning, and the, and the son was dead. And all the firstborn, how many firstborn do we have here this morning? You are the firstborn. If you, were, if you were alive at that particular season, you'd wake up dead. The firstborn of every family died. And, and it got the attention of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, get out of here, get out of Egypt, get away, go on and, and leave us alone. But something happened that night before there was an exodus. Moses called all the leaders together, all the elders together. And he said, here's what I want you to tell every single person that's a part of this faith, a part of this race, a part of this generation. You are to bring all your family inside the house. And you are to sacrifice a lamb. And you are to cook that lamb. And you are to eat that lamb with the staff in your hand and the shoes on your feet because something's going to happen when you participate in what they call the Passover. And the reason they call it the Passover, and it is like the Jews' New Year's Eve day. It's a big day in the, in the Jewish community. And the reason they call it Passover 
is because Moses instructed the people to take hyssop, which is, which is a, like a, a grass, and dip it in the blood of a lamb, go outside your house, and strike, hit, the verb there is to strike vehemently, strike the top of the doorpost and strike the left of the doorpost and the right of the doorpost. And when he did that, when the dad did that, got all of his family inside and took, went outside and took the blood of that lamb and hit the top and hit the left and hit the right, when the blood fell from the top to the threshold, it created a bloodline, it created a blood protection, it created a blood cover. And that night when the death angel visited every single home in Egypt, when it came to a house, the blood was on the doorpost, the, the angel of death avoided that home. He left that home alone. Why? Because it was touched by the power of the blood and that same blood that protected that family that day at Passover is the same blood that watches over our children going in and going out, sitting down and raising up. It's involved in every single area of our life. Obviously, more powerful than diamonds, more powerful than gold, more powerful from, from, from the money. Nothing is more powerful and more valuable than the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, I ask you just give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation for that. As we, as we celebrated last Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection, and we usually focus a lot on Easter, on the resurrection, but the message of the cross is a message that doesn't just need to be preached on Easter Sunday, but it's something that we constantly need to refer to and we need to take interest in and learn about. When John the Baptist baptized his cousin Jesus, the, voice said, the, the word said the Trinity was there at the baptism. There are many people that believe that there's only one God that, but, and there's, there's just a single God. But if you know someone like that, take them to the Scripture. Because the Bible says when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, everybody say, that's one, Jesus, a voice from heaven, someone say, that's two, said, this is my beloved Son in whom I will please. And the Spirit came down in the form of a dove. Someone say, that's three. There's the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. There's the Trinity right there in the first chapter of the book of John. When John saw his cousin that day later teaching and ministering, John points his finger and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. What a statement. What a, what a revelation. Because that generation, when they had failed or dropped the ball or they had sinned, they went and they purchased a lamb. That lamb was without spot, without blemish. It was a healthy, wholesome lamb. And they would take that lamb to the high priest. The high priest would never ask them, why are you, why are you here? What did you do? What, what is your name? What is your grandma's name? He never asked any of those questions. The high priest examined the lamb. And if the lamb was worthy, the high priest took the lamb to the altar of God, took a sharp instrument, and cut the throat of that lamb. And when the blood of that lamb hit the dirt of that altar, that person standing there, regardless of what his sin was, regardless of what his mistake was, he was automatically redeemed and forgiven because of the blood of a lamb. Listen, when you go to God today for the first time or the hundredth time, can anybody relate? You would think after a while we would be wary of the, of the wiles of the devil, that we would learn where he tries to tempt us and trip us and test us. Do you have a friend in the house 
but it seems like we fall for the same old thing we fell for yesterday. So whether you're going to God today for the first time or the hundredth time, God does not ask you, are you a member of the Baptist church? Do you pay your tithe? Is your grandmother a charter member of your church? God doesn't ask any of those questions. God asks, on what preface or what assumption do you come before my throne? And Jerry, do you know what we say? Behold the lamb. Examine the lamb. If the lamb is without spot or without blemish, then we're automatically accepted and forgiven. And I'm here to tell you today, the lamb was worthy. The sacrifice was made. He was the lamb of God from the foundation of the world that paid for the sins of all mankind. Not just my sins. Not just my girl's sins. Not just my parents' sins. But the sins of Adolf Hitler the sins of Mussolini, the, sun, the sins of Sung Young Moon, the sins of Charles Manson, every possible person that you can think of that ever lived upon the face of this earth, no matter how evil or how corrupt they are, God made a way of provision, God made a way of salvation that the worst sinner or the best saint could make heaven their home because of the blood that was spilled that precious, precious day. I've been telling this story for 30 years. I heard it from Marcus Lamb that he personally knew this, the young man that story's about. Kid grew up in the church, grew up in the church of God, loved the Lord, served God, involved in his church, graduated from high school, went to college, attended a secular university, began to hear teachings on humanism and atheism and socialism. And, and day after day, the lectures would try to pound into his head that he evolved from something that crawled out of the ocean millions of years ago. And one afternoon, they had a special agnostic speaker lecturing on creation. And that speaker had the audacity to make the statement, there are some of you in this, in this audience that you believe in a man called Jesus and the power of his blood. He said, but I'm here to tell you there's no more power in the blood of Jesus than there is in that water in the drinking fountain outside that hall. That young kid, 18 years of age, before he knew what he was doing, he was standing on his feet, and he began to sing at the top of his lungs. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. When he got to the chorus, lose all their guilty stains, every single born-again college student was standing on their feet, singing with him, and that agnostic speaker had to shut his book, walk away from that podium. Why? Because there's still power in the blood of Jesus. Aren't you glad this morning for that blood? I think about the generational blessing that's attached to the blood. Once a year, Yom Kippur, a few months before that day, they would purchase a lamb, and they gave the lamb a name. And they brought the lamb into their hostel, into their, into their cave, into their, into their home, and made it their pet. It had a name. It lived with them. It dwelt with them. But on the day of Yom Kippur, dad would take a piece of leather or a piece of papyrus and he would take some kind of ink, some kind of blood, and he would write the family name on a piece of, a piece of papyrus and he'd put holes in it and he would tie a little rope around it and then he would put it over the neck of that lamb that had been in their home for two months. The father would take on that day of Yom Kippur, the father would take that lamb with the family name around the lamb's neck and the father would hand the lamb to the high priest. 
And when the high priest sacrificed that lamb, the entire sins of that household, the sins of the dad, the sins of the children, all the sins were washed away because of that transference of, of responsibility. And when Jesus was nailed to Calvary, all the sins of the world were attached to that nailing. And when they put, this is the Son of God, or this is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, when they put that name on the cross, when the Pharisees saw it, they got very upset because they immediately identified his cross to the scapegoat, his cross to the lamb that had the name of the family. But that day when he was nailed to that cross and that blood fell from his body, the sins of your grandparents, the sins of my grandparents, the sins of your children, the sins of my children, every generational curse was broken, every generational curse was canceled, and everything that we, had, we adapted to or we inherited, we got rid of, and that happened with the blood of Jesus that we were renamed, remarked, refocused, refurbished to do the will of God. We stand clean before Evie. Evie said, clean before my Lord I stand. Not one blemish in me does he see. Why? Not because of your personality or your talents or your gifts or even your anointing, but because God, while you were yet sinner, sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. My God, I'm preaching good this morning. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do I have a friend in the house? Somebody help me this morning. Two Sundays ago, we celebrated the seven places of the cross and the seven places where the blood was shed, and, and each one took a particular thought and, and, and shared what the, the reference there and, and what, that, what that symbolized and what that stood for. And I just want to go over that very quickly because a lot of times we kind of blow through that. We see the scenes of the passion, and we relate to that. But the first thing that happened to Jesus on that dark, horrible night is that he prayed with such intensity. There was a cup. There was a literal spiritual cup offered him. In that cup were the sins of all mankind. I cannot possibly relate to, to that particular fact, and there's no way I can describe that to you. But to pay for the sins of mankind was all introduced in a cup. Three times. He said, Father, if, if, if there's any other way, if there's any other, any other function, any other faction, anything else that we can do, let this cup pass from me. The Bible said he began to intercede. He began to pray. He began to pray with such intensity and such fervence that the sweat glands in his face burst, mixing with the blood. And the Bible says that he literally perspired. He literally sweated great drops of blood. And I look, at that price, I look at that price that he paid as he began to be almost overwhelmed by that cup. And I think about every emotional disorder that we could possibly go through, either being lonely or discouraged or depressed or frustrated or intimidated or threatened, every emotional facet you could possibly experience. When his sweat turned to blood, that blood was applied to our emotions that we don't have to be freaky, we don't have to be flaky, we don't have to be fatherless, but we can be a part, we can be, we can be delivered from that, that we can walk in healing, that our emotions can be sane and healthy and wholesome. Aren't you glad this morning you're not a basket 
case. Aren't you glad this morning you're not some kind of split personality, some kind of psycho person, but the blood of Jesus has given you sanity and has given you favor and has given you blessing that you have the ability to laugh again, you have the ability to cry again, you have the ability to sense things and go through things and share things because he shed his blood. You can be healed emotionally. And then I think about the 39 stripes. Pastor Rodney was with me. We were in Nashville. We were meeting with the surgeon that was going to do the surgery on Courtney's heart. And he was in a room. You remember that? There were all books, hundreds of books behind him, his library. And we began to thank him for, obviously, the extra eight years he went to college instead of six. But the fact that he had focused on being a, a surgeon for a child her heart was the size of a walnut when they did surgery on her. That's how small and intricate it was. And, and of course, Linda, we were blown away at, at his ability and his talent to be able to take that heart out of her body, cut it, and take tissue and make a straw and plug it in the top and the bottom. That She would have three valves, not two. And uh, anybody that's ever um, ins in inspected, I guess, does any nurse or doctor that has ever seen Courtney or met Courtney wants to listen to her heart because she has a drumbeat, a heartbeat, unlike you and I. You and I have a da-da, da-da. She has a triple, da-da-da, da-da-da. Did you know that? She has a triple, and, and m many doctors have never heard that before. They, they're, they're completely blown away by that. And I think about that triple heartbeat, one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Ghost, that she had a new heart. God took the old heart out, put the new heart in and wrote his name upon her heart. But I'm getting all mushy and getting all weeping. I'm thanking the doctor for all his expertise. And he made me aware that there are only, you ready? Wait for it. Drum solo. Anybody? There are only 39 major diseases in the world known to mankind only 39. Every disease, every infection, every challenge comes from one of 39. And when he told me that, something Jennifer got all over me. And I said, Doctor, are you aware that he took 39 stripes upon his back, that every stripe was for a particular disease or a particular sickness, whether you can pronounce and spell it or whether you can't, anything that comes against your body, the stripe upon the back of Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of peace upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Peter looked ahead and said, with his stripes we're healed. Isaiah looked forward and said, with his stripes we're healed. We're healed by the blood of Jesus and by the stripes of Calvary that we can be healed of cancer. We can be healed of, of, of sugar diabetes. We can be healed of fibromyalgia. All, all the things that the enemy can attach to you through a doctor, you can be healed of that because of the blood that will never lose its power. After they beat him, we know that he began to experience eternal bleeding. And we know that he began to bleed from the inside. And I got to thinking about how we're so good about hiding things. How we're so good about putting on a front. How we're so good about acting like everything is okay. But because he experienced internal bleeding, you and I can be healed of anything eternal that's trying to hurt you. 
that's trying to disqualify you, that's trying to threaten you, that's trying to frustrate you. It doesn't matter internally what you're going through. The blood of Jesus has paid the price so that you can be healed internally. Aren't you glad for that? Any curse, any frustration, any attack against you mentally has been taken care of by the blood that he shed at Calvary. When I think of the crown of thorns, I think about the fact that in Africa there is a thorn bush and that thorn bush, the tips of that thorn bush has poison. And a shepherd will take his sheep and he will put them in, in all together. And then he'll take his knife. And Gene, he'll begin to cut this thorn and he'll cut this vine. And he will wrap the entire sheep hole with, with, this, with this vine. Because every animal in the, in the garden knows that it's poisonous. Every animal in the garden knows that it will hurt them. And so the lions and the bears and the bobcats and the wolves and the coyotes, they will not penetrate that, that line because they know that those thorns will, will poison them. I'm here to tell you this morning that when they drove the crown of thorns upon his head, God paid for you mentally, that you don't have to take pills, that you don't have to take this, you don't have to go through therapy, you don't have to go through this or through that, that God deals with the depression, God deals with the fear, God deals with the low self-esteem because of the, the crown of, of Calvary, your mind is healed, your brain is healed. Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. You can have the mind of God, you can have the thoughts of God. Old Testament says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. New Testament says think the thoughts of God because you can have the same mind that Christ had that renewed you from the death, from the grave, from, the, from sin, from the world. Everything that can come against you mentally, God has paid for that you can walk in healing. Amen. My Lord, I'm preaching good this morning. It pierced his hands. We know that the word says to lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. The piercing of his hands represented your ministry, that you can be his hand extended. Lee, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you guys sang that song, let me touch him, let me touch Jesus so that others may know and be blessed. Remember that? Oh, to be his hand extended, reaching out to thee, let me touch him, help me. Let me touch Jesus so that others may know and be blessed. You're a Jesus with skin on. You're a Jesus walking in all the gifts and, and favor and blessing that he had. He said, you go in my name. You lay hands upon the sick. You raise the dead. You take authority over demonic activity. And that's what happened when they nailed his hands. When they nailed his feet, it provided our direction. Our, our, our footsteps, the direction of our ministry. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man ordained by God. The fact that you've made your way to Calvary, you walk those steps, means that you can walk away from Calvary and you can do anything that God has called you to do. He'll give you the talent. He'll give you the finances. He'll give you the favor. He'll give you the opportunity. He'll give you the tools. If he called and he declared it, if it's his will, it's his bill. He can buy that house. He can, buy, he can do whatever he wants to do because he's God and he wants us to look to him and lean to him, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despite the shame and is set down at the right hand of the Father. 
Mike, I've been telling you what I've been doing the past two or three months. I've actually been seeing myself going into the throne of God, and I see myself approaching the throne, and there on the throne is God, and to the right is Jesus. And I actually see myself talking straight to Jesus, and then I see Jesus talking straight to the Father, that I have an advocate with the Father. I have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings as we are, but was at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Aren't you glad sinless spotless, blessed Son of God, took the nails upon His back, the stripes upon His back, the cross, the hands, the feet, for you and I, that we can walk in health and be blessed. And then I think of that, the last time that His blood was shed, and what is so ironic, the same ingredients that were in the garden, the Bible says the dew came up and watered the earth, and you had, the, you had the dirt there, and you, you had, the, you had, the, you had the, the, the vapor, the water, and then you had the DNA of God, the blood of God. So the three things involved there, water, blood, and dirt. When they pierced his side, the Bible says not just blood, but water poured out of his side. And when that blood and water hit the dirt, the same ingredients of creation were the same ingredients of Calvary, And that day in the garden, God created a man. You ready for this? But on a cross, God created a church. A church. The blood, the water, hitting the the dirt of Calvary, it created a church. Because Malchus said, truly, this was the Son of God. The one responsible for his death was the first convert of the New Testament church. And he became a convert by declaring... Behold the Lamb of God. Truly, this was the Son of God. In the garden, we receive the natural DNA. At the cross, we receive the spiritual DNA. In the garden, it generated a physical response. At the cross, it generated a spiritual response. God made man to live forever. When man disobeyed, he did not live a thousand years. I think Adam lived to be 900 and I believe 69. Sin cost him his inheritance. But when you are born again into the kingdom of God, nothing can separate you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or persecution or perilous sword, nay, we're counted all day long as sheep to slaughter, nay, and all these things, we are, help me, more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, all the things Paul said, nothing can separate me because the DNA of God is in my heart and in my spirit. And though you destroy this body and flesh worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh, Job said, shall I see God? He will resurrect me. He will restore me. He will transfer me. He will translate me. He will transfigure me in the kingdom of the Father. And I'm going to a place where the lion lays down with the lamb and will study war no more. And we will dwell in the presence of the most God forever and forever and forever and forever. That's why the Eucharist is so powerful, so important. Every time we take that that bread that represents our brokenness and we dip it, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said that the, the juice, the wine represents his blood. When you take your brokenness and your weakness and your, your mistakes and your fallacies, and you dip them in that, what we call that juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. 
no matter how broken you are, being dipped by the blood, you can be healed and you can be restored. He's dead now. He was one of my favorite musicians, singers, wrote some incredible, phenomenal, sensational songs. But about 20 years ago, he went through a horrible uh, physical challenge. Uh, one morning, he woke up hardly able to whisper. Something was horrifically wrong with his vocal cords. After a couple of days, he went to the doctor. The doctor ran some tests, and the doctor said, I, I hate to tell you this, but your vocal cords have been damaged beyond repair. You'll never sing again. You'll speak above a whisper, but you'll never sing again. Got in his car, went home, went to that house, and walked in that room where that old piano was, and place where he had spent hours and hours praying and singing and ministering. And he sat down on that piano bench, and he said all of a sudden he, he just felt overwhelmed by darkness, overwhelmed by doubt, overwhelmed by fear, overwhelmed by, by tragedy. And he felt something say to him, see there, that's what you get for serving God. That's what you get for giving your life. That's what you get. For your, you could have been Motown's greatest, and he could have. You could have been one of the world's most paid performers, and he could have. See, your God has abandoned you. He said, ignored all that. Ignored all, all that, all that. And he walked over the piano, and he played. And those of you that know something about music, he played something in E-flat. He played an E-flat chord, which is the white and the black keys combined. And in a voice, barely above a whisper, he felt impressed to sing or to try to whisper these words, how can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you give your love to prove to me. The voices of a million angels cannot express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to you. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things he has done. With his blood, he has saved me. With his power, he has raised me. To God be the glory. By the time he got to the second chorus, just let me live my life and let it be pleasing unto thee. And should I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. The power of the Holy Ghost filled that room, touched him on that piano bench. And for 20 years more, Andre Crouch sang about that blood that will never lose its power. It reaches the highest mountain. It flows the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day. Gary and April, I want you to know I dedicate this sermon to you. The Lord gave this to me last night. I was waiting for Pastor Ron to get home because we're really dependent upon the blood to touch Brother Gary and heal his body and restore his body. But not just Brother Gary, you and I, from the weakest to the strongest, to the oldest to the youngest, to the smartest to the dumbest, every, not that you're dumb. Those of you listening by tape that might be dumb, uh, God has provided and escape, he provided a way out. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the son that willingly shed his life, that he drank that bitter cup to the very end. He drained that cup. He paid for all the sins of mankind, the sins of Adam and Eve, the sins that we are generating today. All those sins were paid for on credit, and we thank you for that. You shed your blood that we might emotionally be healthy. You shed your blood so we could 
mentally be healthy. You said shed your blood so that we could physically be healthy. We have a destiny. We have a purpose. We have a legacy. And we thank you for that opportunity not to start over, but to start again. That we can start again based upon all that we know, the experience we've had, the mistakes that we've made, the failure that we've experienced. We lay all that on the altar of forgiveness, and we ask you to raise up a new servant, a new vibrance, a new intensity, a new anointing, a new favor, a new blessing, that we could walk in everything that you have for us because of the blood. We're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and without blemish. We apply that blood to our marriage, to our ministry, to our finances, to our work, to our, to our children, every area of our life. We drench it in blood. We soak it in blood. We, we want blood all over it. We want those stripes. We want that fountain filled with blood. We walk in blood when we leave this house. In the name of Jesus, and they all said, Amen. We'll give the Lord a